Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can gather here tonight for the second service. But tonight is hot and humid. We pray that you may help us to concentrate. We are going to open up the scriptures, especially to look at the emotional life of our Lord Jesus. This is such a sacred subject. We pray that we may listen with awe and reverence. We pray that we may cause our eyes to be fixated on Christ, so that by day and by night, instinctively, constantly, intensely, we may consider the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and delight in Him and rejoice in Him. For Jesus' sake do we pray. Amen. Dear friends, let us turn back to John's Gospel, chapter 2. And let me read to you verses 13 to 17 again. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a weave of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Dear friends, you remember that last week we began a series of studies on the emotional life of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how you feel, but I for myself feel rather excited. Every time I have opportunity to look at this subject, I feel blessed and helped. And let me advise you, when you uh, read your Bible or the four Gospels again, uh, try to pay particular attention to the emotional side of our Lord Jesus' life and ministry. Just pay attention. The words like angry, uh, love, joy, and so on. Uh, we are going to see more clearly who is our Lord Jesus. And we are going to be blessed. And by considering Jesus, without being conscious of that, we will be transformed to the image of Christ. Last week, we looked at a leading emotion of our Lord Jesus is compassion. Compassion. 
as we open our eyes, as we come to know more of the evils, the sufferings, the troubles, the sorrows in this world, if we are like our Lord Jesus, we will be moved to compassion. Now at the outset, tonight, we want to ask a little question. What do you think? Was our Lord Jesus a mild person? Was it of a mild temperament? You know, friends, some people are born with a mild temper and character. Maybe physically they are not strong. And uh, for all kinds of reasons, uh, they may be strong, but uh, they, they are easygoing people. They don't have strong opinions. And even when they have strong opinions, for the sake of peace, they would rather pre prefer to be quiet. Now such mild people, uh, easy for us to get alongside with, isn't it? Uh, we don't want to, to be too often with people with a very strong, uh, assertive character. A, a mild person we get along with easily and, and uh, well. Now some of us may be mild in terms of our temper and character by all sorts of reasons. Now, if that is the case, our temptation would be that uh, we tend to compromise. You know, it's, it's easy to get along with mild persons, but if we are mild, well, our temptation is that we just keep quiet, don't upset other people, we keep the peace. And I ask, was our Lord Jesus a mild person? What do you think? Well, Jesus certainly was meek. Was he a mild sort of person? Easy to get along? You remember last time we laid out seven uh, principles for understanding the emotional life of our Lord Jesus. And one of the principles is this, our Lord Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of jealousy. Our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the Spirit without measure, and from the four Gospels, we can come to see clearly our Lord Christ was a zealous man. His heart was burning. And that is in fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Now tonight I shall mention a number of Bible passages. Don't be overwhelmed. Some of you are taking notes. You like to take down the references, so I'll, I'll give them to you. Uh, other, others of you, uh, you may just like to listen. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 13, after the first servant song, there was a praise to the Lord. Isaiah 42, verse 13, it goes like this. 
the Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. You heard that? The Lord Jehovah God shall go forth as a mighty warrior with that war cry. He shall stir up his zeal. This is what the Lord is like. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. When the Lord God saw that there was no justice and no man to help, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. He put on the garment of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Fascinating passage, isn't it? Because Paul picks up the same language of Isaiah and applies it to the Christian's complete armor in Ephesians chapter 6. We are to put on the whole armor of God. But the Lord Christ has put on this armor first to save us. And part of his armor of salvation is that he put on a cloak of zeal. He was clothed with holy zeal. Another principle we underlined last week to understand the emotional life of our Lord Jesus is that the Psalms and the, and the prophecy of Isaiah and indeed the whole Old Testament scripture inform and give expression of his emotional life. Our Lord Jesus Christ brought himself under the influence of Holy Scriptures and he left scripture to regulate his emotion. What he should be like, even in his emotional display, or this display of his emotion. Now in John chapter 2, we see in the cleansing of the temple, our Lord Jesus said to those merchants, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Apparently the disciples of our Lord Jesus, they knew the Psalms by heart. Because this is part of Psalm 69, verse 9. They knew the Psalms. Uh, just this afternoon I noticed uh, a branch of Orthodox Judaism, they not only uh, read the Psalms every day, but on a special day, they would read the whole Psalter. I said, what? Read the whole, whole, read the whole Psalter in one day? Well, 
They got it all wrong in terms of thinking, but by doing that, I'm adding to my merit before God. But they stand there with the Psalms. It's a challenge, isn't it? Uh, in Psalm 69, verse 9, it is a messianic psalm. And very sad, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The holy zeal for the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 139. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your word. His holy zeal. I mentioned time and again, it was the custom of the China in a mission way back in the 19th century to devote New Year's Eve whole night to pray for China. Whole night to pray for China. And some of their prayers are recorded. Words like, Holy Jesus, Blessed Jesus, and they were pouring out their love for the Lord Christ. Holy Zeal. Sustain their missionary efforts to pray all night for China. Now tonight, we shall look at the zeal of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the emotions of our Lord Jesus, and actually in public display, is to be seen in his zeal for the Lord, for the house of God. We see that so clearly in the two cleansings of the temple in our Lord Jesus' ministry. Did you know that our Lord Jesus cleansed the temple twice? Now I trust we all know that our Lord Jesus cleansed the temple, but John, in his gospel, recalls an early cleansing of the temple of our Lord Jesus. John the Apostle, quietly in his chapters 2 and 3, insert the early Judean ministry of our Lord Jesus, which Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not recall. At the beginning of our Lord Jesus' ministry, he cleansed the temple. At the conclusion of his public ministry, after the triumphant entry to Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus cleansed the temple again. Fascinating, isn't it? In Isaiah, oh, sorry, we go to Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 to 13. This is after the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Our Lord Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seat of those who sold doves. And Jesus said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Our Lord 
Jesus a certainty. It is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Where was it written? You may not take it down. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Even then, we found in the foreigners, God says, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings and the sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, and my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. There's a synagogue in Brooklyn, New York. That has a description on the front of his church. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah 56, 7. And that synagogue generously tied out their synagogue for an evangelical Christian church to worship on Sunday. It must be quite useful. It is a very liberal synagogue. We uh, believe in all kinds of things. Uh, but, well, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It is written, our Lord Jesus says. And then, in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. You can remember that, can't you? Uh, 7, 11. Jeremiah, 7, 11. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. You see, my dear friend, incidentally, how our Lord Jesus Christ has soaked up scriptures in his heart and mind. And he combined here to text Isaiah, Jeremiah, and he, he saw what he saw. And it was angry. It still consumed him. And it cleansed the temple. The background to this is something like this. In what scholars call the second temple, there was uh, the court for the Gentiles. Gentiles could go up to the temple to worship, but they were not allowed to go beyond a certain area. They were allowed to stay in the court of the Gentiles, and there they could pray, they could worship, in their hearts, I guess they could do other things as well. What happened is that in Jesus' days, that sacred precinct was turned into a marketplace for the buying and selling of animals for sacrifice, for uh, money changes to offer a change of money so that the worshippers could uh, change their secular money to sacred money. So it became a bustling marketplace for the Jewish worshippers. They finance, they change their money for their worship. And all 
the while, the Gentiles will find it very hard to concentrate, trying to pray, to worship. Uh, and in the meanwhile, while all this was going on, now, you, you, could, you could guess what was behind all this. Well, <laughs> the priestly hierarchy was hiring out these sacred spirits for these marketing activities. And they were pocketing a fair sum of money. Recently, I, I came across a rabbi saying, well, on one occasion, he was thinking of rabbi thing to refer to money. But, uh, I trust this is not racist remark because it's just what I heard. You see this whole thing. What our Lord Jesus saw with his own eyes is that worship, religion, became a commercial thing. It was all for money. And, and the Jewish religious hierarchy had no concern for the spiritual well-being of the Gentiles. These Gentiles came all the way from other countries. They came to worship the God of Israel. Who cares about that? Who cares more about financial gain? Religion become commercialized. Now here is what it home to us. Do we not see striking parallels in the modern day Christian scene? There's a saying when Christianity came to America, they turned it into a business. Oh yes. There's lots of money involved in Christianity, especially in America, maybe to an extent in Australia as well. Christian organizations be have become increasingly commercialized. The bottom line becomes the consuming concern. Numbers and monies become the absorbing interest. It's a fact that successful Christian leaders, churches, organizations, institutions can earn a lot of money. Educational institutions as well. And that spreads all over the world. And there are even false teaching, teaching people. If you have faith enough, you'll be healthy and wealthy. I guess no one wants to be sickly. No one wants to be poor. But it's passed beyond belief that such a gospel without acceptance with professing Christians, but it does. And let me put this mildly. Perfect times, making more money and being faithful to the Lord are not 
compatible. Now that's a very mild way to put it, isn't it? Uh, one of the many times you want to be faithful to the Lord, you will suffer financial loss. Is it not so? And when our Lord saw all this happening in the temple, what did he do? He was grieved. He was informed by Holy Scriptures, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on, and Psalms. And he burst out in his anger. He cleansed the temple violently. Now let us not mince our words. He was violent, was it not? When our Lord Jesus made a weep of course and whip people out, overturned the trading tables, drove out the animals, cast them all out from that sacred space, it was violent. And it was holy violence. And our Lord did it twice. But notice also, our Lord only did it twice. He did not do it before his public ministry. Rather, he did it at the beginning of his public ministry to signal he is the Lord and his concern for the worship of the Lord. He is, he is disturbed and angry that the worship of God has become commercialized. And he did it then at the conclusion of his ministry. What a lesson for us to learn. That there's a time of everything. There's a time for displays of strong emotions. It's not wrong for us to have strong emotions. But we must be careful. There's a time and a place for that. We can have holy, strong emotions. We can display that. But there is a time and season and place for that. And you notice what our Lord Jesus did, causing his life. And he knew that. That it would cause his life. You touch the pocket of the rich and powerful, you get into trouble. Zeal for the Lord is a costly zeal. He can consume us. Can literally eat us up. He can damage our health. Oh yes, it's costly. Now we may at this point consider something not entirely unrelated. I want us to notice the physical constitution of our Lord Jesus. What do you think? Was our Lord Jesus Christ physically strong? From all the evidence in the Four Gospel, our Lord Christ 
was physically robust. Then he didn't have any handicap to start with, and he got tremendous energy to be able to do open-air preaching for hours, even for a whole day. Our Lord Christ had tremendous strength and energy. He grew up as a laborer. He prayed early in the morning, late into the night, at times all through the night. And this morning in our DVD, uh, we noticed from Jericho, walking up to Jerusalem, will be going up 4,000 feet. Our Lord Jesus did that. And one of the things that showed the tremendous strength of our Lord Jesus is how he fed the 5,000. Here and his disciples needed rest. The crowd caught up with them. He ministered to them the whole day. And then Jesus multiplied bread at his hand. You read the four gospels carefully, compare them. It seems it's so clear. How the miracle happened was at the hand of the Lord Jesus. He took the bread and the fish, gave thanks, he broke it, and he was passing, that's the language of the gospel, he was passing the fish and the bread to his disciples, and his disciples to the crowd, he was passing, multiplying the bread and the fish at his own hands. He tried to do that. 5,000 times for the man, plus the women and children. Has any one of you ever served as a waiter or waitress? You remember how tired you were after serving five tables one night? You were exhausted. I almost say you are young people. Stand a few weeks, serve as a waiter or waitress to learn humility. To learn how serve people. Well, I can't enforce you to do that. But it's a very humbling existence. It can be quite humiliating. Well, coming back. Our Lord Jesus, from all the indications in the four Gospels, was physically robust. Backed by his robust body, filled with the Holy Spirit without measure, he was full and filled with the zeal of the Lord. What does the Bible teach us about the Lord Jehovah? Now listen to these few passages. Second Kings, verse not, uh, Second Kings chapter 19, verse 31. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. The zeal of the Lord. There are quite a number of passages in the Old Testament. The Lord God is zealous. Remember the Christmas passage? The prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9? For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and then it goes on, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 
if you are still taking notes. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 14. Proclaim, say, thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. The same prophecy, Zechariah chapter 8 verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm zealous for Zion with great zeal and with great fervor, I'm zealous for her. Notice on one verse, zeal is mentioned four times, three times, plus great fervor. The Lord God is zealous for Zion. Are we zealous for God's side in our time? Not the physical Mount Zion in Jerusalem, but the Church of God. Are we zealous for the Church of God? Are we zealous for His life? Are we zealous for His worship? The hymn says, I love thy kingdom, Lord. I love your church, the house of your abode. Do you sing that hymn, my dear friends? Do we love the church, the local congregation? We live in a time when many believers have no affection for the local church. At best, they're like grasshoppers, hopping from church to church without commitment. At worst, they don't even turn up in church. They say, well, I can be a Christian at home. We can have our own groups. I can watch sermons. In YouTube, better than the one I got in my local church. Of course you can have that. Of course, the YouTube sermon that got half a million views will be better than most of the local church's sermons, at least in terms of his appeal or eloquence. Uh, I don't watch this often, but... A couple of times, only for a few minutes, I, I was what I would regard as a false teacher in America. Uh, and he's so eloquent. <laughs> he would just hold your attention and get your money. A bottle of oil, 130 US dollars. It's from Israel, alright? Not Australian olive oil. Things like that. Are we zealous for the church? Listen to what the disciples remember. There was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. When the disciples first saw Jesus cleanse the temple, they remembered the Psalms. This is the Messiah. Yet it's written in the Psalms that zeal for God's house will eat up the Messiah. I do not need to multiply references. 
But there are so many references in the Old Testament about the, the jealousy of God, that the Lord is a consuming fire, about His holy zeal for Zion, for His people. And my dear friends, let us move on. As our Lord Jesus was on earth, so shall we be now. J.C. Wilde says, a zealous Savior ought to have zealous disciples. And tonight in our newsletter, there are a number of quotations about the zeal of God's people. Isn't that beautiful? Von Sensendorf, I have one passion only. It is He. It is He. And other quotations as well. Take it home and meditate on that. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says to Christian believers, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. In our work, we should not be, be slack. But at all times we should be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Oh friends, is your heart burning for the Lord? Are you concerned for the glory and honor of the Lord? We say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday morning. But are we really concerned for His kingdom, for His name, for His glory and honor? Are you grieved when you see and hear how the holy names of the Lord and His Lord are being cast down to the ground? Teachers here, we've got a number of teachers here tonight. Are you not concerned for the rising generation? Is it not a sad thing to see our children growing up misusing and blaspheming God's holy name? What has our culture become? I remember reading a 19th century Christian book and that Christian writer says, well, such misuse of God's name can only happen in France, not in England. Well, he might be saying the truth, but that was in the 19th century. Even older people among us, they, they remember it was not allowed to use God's name like that when they were young. In Revelation chapter 3, the from Christ says to the church in Laodicea, as many as are loved, I will build and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Why are we not zealous? Our Lord Jesus says, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. How true that is. As our prevailing culture becoming more and more wealthy and lawless, as sin abounds, we get used to that. And by and by, our love for the Lord has grown cold. 
there is a poisonous influence of lawlessness, even in the Christian hearts, which are the relief in very difficult times. In a time of terrible unbelief and outrageous disobedience to the Lord. And we get affected. First, that our love for the Lord has grown cold. And my dear friends, you and I must pray for and yearn for fresh feelings of the grace of God in forgiving us of our sins. Remember Luke chapter 7? When Jesus was dining in the Pharisee's house, a sinful woman came at his back and she was weeping profusely. Her tears wetted the feet of our Lord Jesus and she couldn't stop kissing his feet and anointing his feet with oil and drying his feet with her hair. She was so emotional. Why? Jesus says, because she has been forgiven much. We need to feel that we have been forgiven much. Don't be afraid to feel your sinfulness before the Lord. But with that awareness, let it move us to holy love for the Lord Jesus. Lastly, my dear friends, we should be concerned for the purity in our life and the purity of the worship of God. Paul said to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul was passionate for his spiritual children in Corinth. They did live in a terrible environment, and they got affected. But Paul says, I betrothed you to Christ as a pure virgin. I want you to be pure. I'm jealous for your purity. So should we be jealous for the purity in our life and we should be concerned for the purity of worship. Part of the ordination vows of ministers and elders in our denomination goes like this. Do you own and accept the purity of worship as practiced in this church? I'm afraid I have to say this. It seems too many of our elders and ministers only pay lip service to raise their vows for the concern of the purity of worship. The house of prayer has long become a house of play and entertainment. And you and I should be angry with that. Let's pray.
For Lord our God, you are jealous, God. You are jealous of our devotion. You are jealous of our purity. May we have the same kind of jealousy for holiness, for purity. And Lord, we pray for the worship of your holy name. It grieves us to see how the house of prayer has been turned to a club. How your people all over the world turn worship into entertainment. And they do not even know that it is wrong. Lord, we pray for the purity of your church. We pray that you may so work in our time that your people may be concerned for holiness, for purity. And we pray for ourselves that we may be keen for the holiness of God, for the worship of your name. Yes, Lord, we pray that you may go with us as we work for you in different spheres in the new week. We especially pray for the teachers in our midst tonight that they may bear witness to your holy name, whether they are working in Christian schools or public schools. May they shine so light. May they be sold in a wealth of corruptions. Have mercy upon our young people, upon the rising generation. Oh Lord, they have been so much polluted. We pray that you may pour down your spirit from on high. We pray that our children's children may see better days than ours. Unbelief says this is impossible. It's only to get worse. But faith says with the Lord all things are possible. Hasten. The coming of your kingdom. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.